If you're visiting today, my name's Scott. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, I think the most interesting man, especially of the last century, was Winston Churchill. Do we have any Churchill readers or lovers? Cool, a few of them. Uh, Winston uh, Churchill was known for having led uh, Joseph Stalin and uh, President uh, Franklin Roosevelt during World War II and really protecting the whole Western civilization. (laughs) Tremendous leader of the last century. Uh, the more you get to know him, though, personally, you discover that he was, uh, he was a, a real mushy guy and for a strong leader, very strong. Uh, folks even questioned the strength uh, sometimes of his uh, leadership decisions. They were overwhelming. But the guy was, uh, he was, he was on a very mushy level in love with his wife, uh, tender love with his wife. Um, even though he came from a family of uh, promiscu- promiscuity, he was all in committed to having a a very upright relationship with his wife. He was a polo player. He was a poet, uh, reader, and uh, and writer. And he was uh, a pet lover. A pet lover. He loved pets. And you'd never imagine this of a guy who was leading uh, the the known allies. Uh, But there's a saying about Churchill. Uh, He said of... uh, of dogs, he says, uh, uh, and, and he says, I'm fond of pigs. He says, dogs look up to you, cats look down on you, uh, pigs look up to you as their equal. Uh, there's something about Churchill and pets uh, that is, or, church, or pigs treat you as equals. He was a sentimental guy who uh, cared about people. In fact, you can watch several uh, films, even on YouTube, like uh, Gathering Storm. Uh, where you can learn about this leader. I think the most interesting man of the last century. Uh, This morning I want to transition and I want to talk about who I think is the most interesting man of the last two millennia. It's not just me. Uh, Even skeptics, even non-faith people uh, describe Jesus as the most influential person of the last uh, two millennia. And this morning I want to begin... what will be a, an outline that reflects the kind of a scientific experiment. We're going to do an experiment today. Uh, if you're visiting, uh, you're going to get a chance to experiment uh, with this particular hypothesis. This is the first part of it. I want to argue today that with faith, there's always hope. With faith, there's always hope. Uh, that's where I'm headed, and I want to begin by asking this question, who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus? And uh, we're going to answer that question in a uh, nonfiction narrative uh, located in our, what we consider, Holy Scripture. It is uh, written by a co-worker of Jesus. His name is Luke. And if you came this morning and you'd like to check and make certain that what I'm saying is what's in there, you can take out your smartphone and uh, you can get on your Bible app or uh, Google Luke 7 right now and you'll be able to follow Luke 7. And if you came and you, wanna, you want a real Bible, raise your hand and we'll uh, have one delivered to you. We're going to be on page 750 and 751 today. As you're opening your Bibles, I want to tell you that there is an opportunity to kind of go deep uh, here at Adventure on Sundays next month. We're going to start a systematic theology class. And if you're interested in that, simply mark the uh, Connect card that Natasha mentioned earlier 
and let us know that you're interested in systematic theology, and uh, that class starts next month. It'll be an opportunity for you to go a little deeper. So the, the nonfiction narrative that I want to look at this morning comes from Luke 7, and I think it answers the question, who is this man? Uh, and we're going to look at the question using uh, an outline uh, from, from a scientific experiment. We're going to make, uh, here's what you can expect. We're going to make three observations, and then we're going to have a hypothesis, and then we're going to do an experiment together. Uh, you're going to be given a, a very confidential, a very comfortable opportunity to experiment with what you hear this morning, and then uh, we're going to send you off here. So let's begin uh, in Luke chapter 7. I'm just going to read this narrative that Luke, who's considered even by secular historians, one of the best historians uh, in all of lit, uh, he writes in chapter 7 uh, about this experience that he had learned about, that Jesus had. Here it is. Uh, when Jesus had finished saying all this in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Uh, there, a centurion servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews uh, to him, asking him to come and, uh, and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pled earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you uh, do this. Because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with them. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. For I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word. (laughs) What did Jesus say? Say Say the word. Say the word, and my servant will be healed. (laughs) Say the word, and my servant will be... (laughs) This guy had a marvelous faith. You don't need to come here. Just say it. (laughs) So, he continues to explain his understanding. He says, For I myself am a man under authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I've not found such great faith in Israel. (laughs) Then the men who had seen him uh, returned to the house and found the servant well. This is a a story. If you're uh, not engaged in Christianity or uh, not engaged in the Bible, this is a story uh, written in probably uh, collected and written in about 50 A.D. Uh, Luke was uh, a doctor, a very detailed um, writer who captured, collected uh, some of the accounts of Jesus and captured this one. It's also recorded in Matthew chapter 8 if you want to look there for a parallel story. Another one of Jesus' uh, friends captured this story. And the first observation I, I think that's really clear is that Jesus was a man of authority. Jesus was a man of authority. <laughs> he had real authority. And the centurion picked up on this. Um, he was, as per his title, he oversaw 80 to 100 men. That's a lot of oversight. <laughs> he was a man of significant responsibility. And he also had a unique role in uh, Capernaum, which was... Uh, 
which was on the screen earlier, uh, a favorite site for a lot of uh, tourists that go to Israel. Uh, just a beautiful community where Jesus held his headquarters. This centurion actually had jurisdiction over that area. The, the Jews, the Hebrews, were subject to the Roman government. It was a really difficult time that they were hoping to get completely released from, uh, waiting for the Messiah. And Jesus, uh, Jesus responds to this uh, centurion. His faith is significant. He's described by some of the elders of the synagogue in this way. Uh, he, he's been generous and helped us build our synagogue. Here's a guy of means who used his means for a foreign country that was subject to him. He was not a Hebrew, to our, to our knowledge. He didn't, he, he didn't have any, uh, any Jewish uh, blood. Uh, he, was, he was actually considered what we call a goy, a Gentile. Uh, the Hebrews and, or the Jews and, and goy weren't to connect. There was to be some distance between them. Instead, he, he owned the gap. He pursued the God of Israel, the one and only God. He was very interested in it. No doubt he heard some of the teachings from the Torah, uh, the five books of uh, Moses. No doubt he heard some of the Psalms, and he was drawn to what he was hearing. It's interesting that God is near all that are willing to listen. And so he pursued uh, the God as he knew him, and did do so just intellectually. Uh, He did so generously. He helped finance uh, the, the construction of the synagogue, and... Uh, he, uh, he is described as someone who loved the nation of Israel. <laughs> How about, let, me say it, let me say it this way. <laughs> he was someone who loved the nation of Israel. And I just want to say as a, as a Christ follower of, uh, of a rabbi who was an Israelite, I still love the nation of Israel. We should still love the nation of Israel and pray for her. Uh, this centurion loved the nation. And he had an understanding that this Jesus was, was a significant guy. He'd heard, no doubt, that Jesus had a crazy ability for people to touch uh, the hem of his garment, to touch something he was wearing, and be healed of a medical marvel. And his servant had palsy. He was paralyzed, but also his servant was uh, experiencing tremors, tormenting tremors. Uh, I don't know exactly what this diagnosis was, but I know that he was, uh, he was very concerned about this person dear to him. Let me just pause here and ask you a question. Do you have anyone close to you that's really sick? Do you have anyone close to you that's uh, suffering? Do you have anyone uh, in your household or maybe at work that's going through a really hard time? Do you care? <laughs> Do you care enough to make a bold move like this guy to do whatever it takes to, to bring hope to him? Uh, this guy's a, a man's man. High level of responsibility, but he understands what I do is about people ultimately. And he is able to understand that a relationship with God is not just a worship of God. It's a care about my common man, his servant in this case. And uh, he does whatever it takes to bring this man to Jesus Yea, he even, it appears, is hosting uh, this guy in his home. He's living with him. Uh, let me just ask a real simple ask about your level of other-centeredness, your level of compassion. This question. When's the last time you had someone over in your house uh, that couldn't repay you? 
someone over in your house that might not want to have you in theirs? When's the last time you just showed hospitality to someone that you're close to and said, come on over and just hang out, uh, relax, (laughs) uh, just chill, watch a game with us? Uh, Let me tell you, our faith in in Jesus, uh, who has significant authority, it is most uh, palpable by the way we treat the people closest to us. And I got to tell you, sometimes I'm a fail at that. (laughs) Recently, one of my sons got sick. I was working. I didn't have time to help. Uh, he had a doctor's appointment, and I took him to the doctor's appointment, and we had the address wrong, so we had to go to another address. Boy, the Christian in me wasn't present. I, I had work to do. And so we, we took him to one doctor, and then uh, and he got assessed, and it was kind of cute because they were wheeling him around in a wheelchair. I was waving and doing my work. I was kind of a little bugged. <laughs> Why did he have to choose that day to be sick when I was working? And uh, he called me out on it later that night. Dad, I noticed uh, you didn't enjoy being with me while I was sick. He called me out. (laughs) It's easy to talk about being uh, compassionate towards people close to us, but it's never really timely, is it? It's never really scheduled. No one Google Calendar invites you and says, I'm I'm expecting to be sick next month. I'd like you to be ready. (laughs) It's just being ready. It's tough. This centurion recognized Jesus as a man of authority, observation number one. And this is a man's man, like my favorite character in the Bible, Job, in Job 31, who's described as a guy who has lots of responsibility, but an ability to pause and care for one person. Uh, This guy had it. Uh, The second uh, clear observation I think that's here is that uh, he had authority that was more than just a mere man. He had more authority than just a mere man. Notice in this narrative, uh, he sends uh, the elders to go ask on behalf of his servant. Go ask, would you? Uh, He's a man of authority. He understands. Go ask someone of authority. But what he experiences is something happened between that ask where he discovered he had an epiphany of some sort where he realized this Jesus is way more influential than I imagined. I don't know if some of his friends said to him, hey, uh, This Jesus, he's more than just a rabbi that has a unique gift of healing. This guy has a very special gift. He's very unique. You've never met anyone like him. And I'll argue that if you take an honest look at what's in, uh, what was said about him, you'll find that he wasn't just a mere man. Here are just a few of the words that are used to, that are attributed to him in Luke's account alone. I'm not including some of the other accounts. Here are just a few. He's the rising sun. Uh, he's the, uh, the eternal one. Uh, he's the, he is the salvation. He is the holy one. <laughs> Anybody called you the holy one lately? <laughs> Probably not, right? <laughs> you hope not. <laughs> Feel free to give me a courtesy laugh on that one. Uh, anybody, uh, <laughs> he's, he's our salvation. He's, he's the son of man. And here's the here's the the real tipping point, uh, the reason for Luke's account. Uh, He's the son of God. Wow. Something happened between the centurion sending off his uh, known elders to ask Jesus to come and the moment uh, when he discovered that Jesus was on his way, where he realized that this guy has way more authority than I could even imagine. Uh, Jesus is the Son of God. 
That's the, that is the differentiating argument of Christianity. That he's not, he was not just a philanthropist. I'll talk about it a little later. He was not just a fable created in the minds of historians, but that he was the son of God, the one and only son of God. Uh, and we'll talk about some of the questions that people have about that in a few minutes. But if he's the son of God, then one can argue that he has a whole lot more influence over uh, more than just medical <laughs> prognosis, prognoses. He's got influence over government. He's got influence over physics. He's got influence over business. He's got influence over my employment and your employment. He's got influence, if you let him, over your marriage and family life. He's got influence, if you let him, over <laughs> your health, <laughs> your body, your own self-discipline. He's got influence over your mind, <laughs> if you let him. Influence over your emotions, if you let him. Folks, the mere idea that Jesus is the Son of God brings such hope. You know what they say about hope? (laughs) Uh, What I believe this morning, that uh, with faith, there's always hope. But what psychologists have figured out about hope is if you can increase the hope of someone by only 10%, their, their ability to rise above whatever they're facing increases dramatically. Here are a few uh, stats. Someone who has a, just a 10% increase in hope has more satisfying relationships, they're more productive, uh, they're less affected by stress, they're more likely to see God as loving, caring, forgiving, and hope-bringing. I love the example of this, uh, this centurion uh, who, who said it this way, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. That's a lot for a Roman officer to say about someone who is subject to him. Agreed? <laughs> this Jesus, he, he, wasn't, he didn't have kind of a CrossFit physique. <laughs> he wasn't intimidating physically. He wasn't even attractive, according to uh, some of the prophecies. But there was something about him that was no mere man. He was the son of God. And this centurion had great respect for him. Let me ask you, gut check right now. How respectful are you of Jesus? Really? Really? Let me ask you a few questions. When's the last time you saw some marvel of nature? Like, like these birds. <laughs> these birds that fly in, in symmetric ovals. Have you seen them? <laughs> and, and paused and said, wow, God, you're amazing. How do these birds communicate with one another uh, as to whether or not they're flying symmetrically? <laughs> That is one incredible communication system. Or when's the last time you saw a sunset and just said, wow, <laughs> praise Jesus? Uh, when's the last time you just you, 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 you made a statement about God that wasn't about you at all? It, it was just about him. You're amazing. Up at Tahoe or on the beaches of uh, Mavericks, you've just said, you're amazing that you made this. That's called praise. When's the last time you've done that? Straight up. When's the last time, how about this, instead of praise, when's the last time you owned something? You owned a failure. Verbally. When you just confessed and said, you know what? (sighs) What I said the other day was wrong. And I'm sorry. And maybe you owned it and you went to the person whom you said it to and said, hey, I just want to own what I said was wrong. It was, I didn't think about it. It was, it was rash. When's the last time you confessed uh, something? (laughs) 
because of your reverence for Jesus? Really, I'm asking. Where it came off your tongue and you said, hey, my bad. <laughs> I own that. When's the last time you, you uh, confessed something that you said uh, maybe disrespectfully or uh, from a gossip standpoint about somebody else? And you said, hey, Lord, I'm in the wrong. <laughs> When's the last time you confessed for allowing your eyes to wander and said, hey, my eyes are controlling me. Uh, I am not practicing spirit-led sexual habits. And you just said, I own that. Or when's the last time you, you figured out that you have a chronic ability to lie? <laughs> you know, that lying is the devil's language. And you just decided, you know what, I'm going to tell the truth here. I'm going to backtrack and let that person know I was lying <laughs> out my <laughs> fill in the blank. <laughs> this is what it means to show reverence. To, to, to consider Jesus as just the Son of God whom you <laughs> respect significantly. When's the last time you gave thanks? Uh, I've mentioned praise, confession. When's the last time you said thank you? You said, hey, that transaction, that deal, that opportunity, the safety we were able to carry out that quarter, our fiscal year, I don't take any credit for that. I thank you. When's the last time you said thank you? When someone complimented you in front of others, did you say, yeah, bring it? Or did you say, you know what, I want to thank God? He's the one that's giving me the ability to do what I do. When's the last time you prayed for somebody else? Like this centurion and you went to bat for them. When's the last time you prayed for someone that doesn't like you? <laughs> that bugs you? That doesn't like your weird factor? <laughs> When's the last time? This is what it means to show reverence. This centurion got it. He reverenced Christ. And uh, those, are, those are practices of Christians who reverence Christ. If you're not a Christian, then don't, don't, don't let that weigh on you. <laughs> this is for Christians. Uh, we show reverence for Christ, the Son of God. We do, man. I honestly, fear him. <laughs> I fear not showing him reverence. Now, I'm full of his love, but I also know he's, 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 he expects a lot of me. Uh, thirdly, I think what's fascinating about this uh, centurion's outreach, it's my third observation in our experiment, is that the centurion found that Jesus accepted an invite, an unlikely invite, to come to his house. This guy was not a Jew. Very rarely is Jesus in the house of a non-Jew. In fact, I can only think of one other occasion in all of his ministry. And it wasn't because he didn't like Jews. He was not a profiler. It was because he was called by his father to speak to the Jew first. And Jesus accepts the invite. And you know what this tells me? This tells me that, it tells me firstly that when I'm invited to go and be with somebody, I should accept all the time. You know, if someone has me over, go. One of my favorite pastors, anytime he's asked to go to a party, he goes. I, I want to be that kind of servant, that kind of neighbor to go, to be there. Uh, but what it also tells me is that Jesus is near us. <laughs> He's just a, a few words away. All we've got to be willing to do is say, hey, come. Come here. <laughs> come over to my house. I want to be with you. And uh, sometimes in our home, we'll, Melissa and I, I'll tease her. Uh, the house isn't looking very good. And I'll say, hey, just a heads up. We've got guests coming in about 25 minutes. 
And she will, oh my word, it's great the looks I get. And uh, sometimes, uh, I'm just teasing her, sometimes she'll tell me, hey, folks are coming over in about an hour. <laughs> She's not kidding. And, uh, <laughs> and it, it sometimes jolts me, wow, are we ready? You know, uh, these folks are coming to our house, are you serious? <laughs> really, <laughs> what an honor. And uh, it's, hospitality is part of our Honestly, it's part of our milestone this year. We want you doing life with your neighbors. Let me ask you, when's the last time you've had a neighbor over uh, your home uh, since we launched this milestone in early August? Uh, Or just had a conversation with your neighbors. But we want to see you have them over and love your neighbors here in Natomas. We think it makes a big difference. Uh, Jesus accepted this invite to, to go and be with the centurion. And he responded to the centurion's Second request, hey, don't come. Just say the word. Don't come. Just say the word. Just say it. It's done. I know who you are. I got an idea. Just say the word. And you know what that conveys to me about God? Is that he will respond to an unlikely invitation from anyone who has enough faith to reach out to him and say, hey, bring hope to me. Bring hope to me. My hypothesis today is this. With faith in Jesus, there's always hope in any situation. With faith in Jesus, there's always hope in any situation. And that doesn't mean that circumstances work out like we envision. (laughs) Pastor Saeed never imagined that he would be in Iraq for as long as he was, did he? (laughs) And yet by God's people and prayers, he was released. Uh, separated from his family for a long time. Uh, Sometimes we pray that Jesus will bring hope to families, and uh, sometimes we don't get answers. But I can tell you this month we've had answers. Uh, We've seen a a mom who uh, was diagnosed with breast cancer uh, have immediate attention and complete extraction of it. Uh, We've seen a young a brother of one of our adventurers who was diagnosed with lung and brain cancer in uh, November and seeing the doctors now, now argue that he doesn't need any sort of chemo treatment. It's, been, it's no longer uh, a threat. Uh, we've seen our beloved, our beloved, one of our beloved sisters from Heritage Park experience uh, a stroke while she was visiting family. And uh, in the ICU, very little hope, and our people were praying, and we saw her in services the last couple weeks, doing great, looking more beautiful than ever. We believe that Jesus Christ is the one that, with faith, creates unlimited hope all the time, even when circumstances don't work out like we envision. And sometimes they don't, and we don't have, we can't figure them out. But we know in the worst case situation, Jesus brings hope even to the life that we have after this life, to our forever how does he do that? <laughs> you know the story. He, he came to earth uh, in, his, uh, in, a, in a very unique birth and uh, lived a normal life until age 30. And between about 31 and uh, 33, he uh, turned the Roman, he, he turned the uh, Galilean community around Capernaum upside down. And uh, he, by his father's design, suffered on this Roman apparatus, a substitutionary death, to pay the complete penalty for all of our narcissism, all of our personal uh, rebellion. 
so that if we trusted in what he experienced here, he would forgive us of all of our sins, all of them. Oh, I love that because I know I'll sin this afternoon. And he gave us an opportunity for two things that are transforming. He gave us an opportunity to have peace with God. The price has been completely paid. Our sins have been expunged from a legal term. And he gave us his spirit. The spirit of Jesus lives in us that helps me love my neighbor and have great relationships uh, as this uh, centerpiece, the patibulum, illustrates. Uh, Where does it start? I think this year it starts by this prayer of the centurion. I want to lead you in it. It's the simplest prayer you'll ever pray. I think it's four words. Just say the word. (laughs) Just say the word. Four words. Say that with me. Just say the word. That's it. Say it again. This year you're going to be facing uh, perhaps decisions others are making that you don't like. And I want you to do, what I want you to pray is, just say the word. (laughs) Doesn't mean it's not going to work like a wand for you. But you're trusting in Jesus' authority over all matters. You trust him entirely. As it relates to ISIS, Lord, you just say the word. I trust in his authority. He gets stuff done. Well, I want to lead you in a prayer for 2016. And the prayer is our experiment. And you may have never prayed before, never prayed audibly. We're not going to spotlight you this morning. This is between you and uh, who you think is God, we, we argue that it's Jesus. And you might have some pushback on that. Let me just suggest a few things. Uh, we believe that to argue that Jesus was just a fable, just, a, just a, a, a fabulized character in the first century, a really a fictional character, it requires way too much revisionary history to do that. The first century is replete of first uh, uh, of eyewitness accounts and secondary accounts of people who didn't even believe in Jesus. But they wrote emphatically, this guy did miracles. No one questioned his miracles in the first century, and he rose from the dead. Josephus, the great uh, Jewish historian, argued he rose from the dead, and people followed him, and they changed the whole Roman world. To argue that Jesus is just a fictional character, man, you got to rewrite a lot of first century history from primary and secondary writers The second argument is that Jesus was just a great philanthropist, and he was. There's a half-truth to that. His his work influenced uh, compassion globally for two millennia. Without him, I'm not saying there wouldn't be global compassion, but he is a major influencer of it. But to stop there and say great philanthropist and great storytelling teacher, that's not catching at all. Here's why. (laughs) He told people to go tell others about his death, burial, and resurrection and be willing to do so even if they face death, like they do today in the Middle East. What kind of teacher would that be if he told you to go give it all up? Give it all up. Be willing to be separated from your family and lose every, everything you have to testify of me. What kind of philanthropic, compassionate, motivated teacher would he be if he wasn't the Son of God and was sending people to testify of him to their death? I would argue he would be a cult leader. But if he was God's son, oh my word, as we'll discuss in Easter, it changes everything. So here's the experiment. Here's the experiment. It's the hope experiment. And uh, I want to lead you in this prayer. It's Jesus, bring hope to my, and you fill in the box there. Jesus, bring hope. Jesus, just say the word. 
and bring hope to my, and for you it may be you've never believed that what he suffered on the cross was for your forgiveness so you could have a relationship with God and be filled with his spirit to love others. Maybe that's, so your prayer is bring hope to my imperfect life. (laughs) Uh, Bring hope to my forever because the hope we have as Christians is that as Christ was buried and died and resurrected from the dead, so we too, when we are buried and die, we will immediately see Jesus face to face. Maybe you've never made that decision. Your prayer today is, Jesus, bring hope to my imperfect life. Maybe you're a Christian, (laughs) and you haven't quite gathered that Jesus has authority over everything. (laughs) And uh, you have someone like the centurion that you're concerned about. Jesus, please bring hope. You can insert to my friend, my coworker, my grandma, my relative. Uh, Yours may be more personal. You may say, Jesus, bring hope to my finances. Jesus, bring hope to my health. Jesus, bring hope to my marriage and family life. Jesus, bring hope to my parenting. Oh, my word. (laughs) Jesus, bring hope to, to my job, to my gift set, to my purpose in life. I don't know. I just want to put you, I want to put Jesus to the test here. Not in an arrogant way. I believe he's alive and living with us today. I believe he's in our presence right now. And I want to challenge you with that understanding that Jesus is a man of authority. Jesus is the son of God. That Jesus accepts an invitation, an unlikely invitation from anyone. I want to challenge you to pray this prayer with me as it relates to your own life. In just a moment. And uh, maybe one of you will make a decision that will uh, ensure that all your sins are forgiven. They've been dealt with, your shortcomings, and your eternity is, uh, is locked and sealed right now. I'm going to lead you in that prayer. It'll be a brief one. So uh, if you're comfortable, bow your heads and uh, close your eyes if you want. It's going to be personal, and uh, I'll lead you in it right now. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, uh, we ask that you would bring hope. Uh, bring hope for some of us to our imperfect lives. Uh, We want the cross applied to us. We want peace with you. We want peace with our neighbors. Heavenly Father, bring peace to our forever. Uh, We know that if we, we know that you're the only one that resurrected, and we want that kind of hope. And then for those of you that have really specific people in mind, Insert their name as I, as I lead you in this prayer. Just repeat it after me. Father, uh, bring hope to my, and you insert the name. Uh, Jesus, just say the word and bring hope to, you insert their name. Just say the word and bring hope to. And then maybe more personally, you say, Jesus, just say the word and bring hope to my, If it's for you, my marriage, my business, my life purpose, (laughs) I'm not satisfied. Jesus, just say the word and bring hope to my finances. Bring hope to my children. Bring hope to my parenting. Bring hope to an understanding of my talents. And to be very clear, if you've never become a Christian, I think your prayer today is, Jesus, bring hope to my distance from you. Uh, Just say that. Jesus, bring hope to my distance from you. Or, uh, and Jesus, bring hope to my forever. 
And if you're here, and as I said, this is the confidential prayer time. If you're here and you uh, made a first-time decision to say, I want Jesus to bring hope to my sins, my forgiveness, my imperfect life, and my forever, I want to acknowledge your decision <laughs> right from where you're seated. Would you just raise your hand and let me see? Yeah, today was the day. Raise your hand high. Anybody? Say, Jesus, bring hope to my imperfect life. Anyone here today in this service? Pray that prayer. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? Say, Jesus, bring hope. To- yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Anybody else? Say, Jesus, bring hope to my imperfect life. Yes, ma'am. I saw your hand. Yes, ma'am. I saw your hand. Anybody else? Just said, hey, yeah, I want him. Yes, I saw your hand, ma'am. Lord, we uh, fully trust in you and your work. Amen. <laughs> so uh, in the experiment that the centurion had, uh, his servant was healed immediately. Uh, I can't promise anything. I have no control over how the Lord's going to reply to your prayer request today. But it's a hope experiment. I challenge you to do what scientists do. Share the results. Communicate the results uh, with others. And uh, imagine what kind of person you could be this year in the face of whatever you challenge, whatever challenges you to know that Jesus is the one that has all authority and that you can face it and say, Jesus, just say the word. Just say the word. And uh, I'm going to trust you with whatever I face this year. Let me tell you, I think it's the most empowering hope there is, but it requires faith, and uh, I think you exhibited it today. Great job on the experiment. I'm real proud of you. Now, in just a moment, we're going to sing a song here. Uh, If you this morning have uh, a... um, would like prayer, if you raised your hand today uh, as I led you in prayer, I want to pray for you. If you made a first-time decision, I'm going to ask you to just come down. Some of my uh, uh, co-workers and leaders will be up here. We just want to pray for you. If you need prayer in any other matter, well, uh, you come forward as well. Stand with you now, and uh, we'll sing this song. You just come right now, and we'll help you with your decision.